0: Thank you so much. Good morning. We've been involved in this series over the course of weeks. It's an eight-part series dealing with the title, theme, Full Spectrum Discipleship. And you have in front of you, of course, an insert to take some notes and thoughts down with regard to what this passage teaches. But also, as we utilized last week, stemming from a time in which we did vision work in our last Body Life update, what's known as the Engel Scale. This comes out of the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, and it has been used by students, designed by Dr. Engel, who is director of the Graham Center, to help people to understand where individuals are at on the spectrum in relationship to Jesus Christ. There are going to be those who are close to Jesus but have not yet come to saving faith, and those that are still far removed, who have an awareness of a God of this universe, but don't have the particulars yet worked out in their mind. And so what the scale has done for us, not foolproof, but it is a tool to work with, is that it equips you and equips me, if we love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to try to determine where on the spectrum this individual we are talking to is at. Family member, friend, co-worker, colleague, student, And by God's grace, through the working of the Holy Spirit, be used to help them move across the spectrum to the point they have put faith and trust in Jesus, but not end there, to continue the discipleship process until he or she has begun to lead other people to saving faith in Jesus Christ as well and becomes a multiplier of disciples. And that's the idea here in these verses. So today... We're taking a passage from the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Love for you to turn there. And in this eighth chapter, you and I are given information of what takes place subsequent to the stoning of a believer by the name of Stephen, who was a very close colleague of the man described in this eighth chapter, the man Philip, who will be used by God throughout these verses. And so I want to see how what took place in Acts 7 propels us into Acts 8, and what we can learn as we build a bridge from the time period of Acts into 2015 today. I'm going to just simply read verses 1 through 8, but we're also going to be covering verse 26 onward. Notice carefully what's occurring. Saul, that would be later, the Apostle Paul, but Saul approved of his execution, his Stevens before Saul came to saving faith in Jesus. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. So we're going to be looking at these verses, and also picking up on verse 26, what transpires on that road that God has placed Philip on, as Philip is going to befriend an Ethiopian eunuch, And by God's grace, lead this political figure to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's a lot here, and we want to think this through together, don't we? So let's, let's look to our Lord in prayer. My Father, you educate us in your word, and then you motivate us to be able to apply your word. You inspire us. To take what is here and to flesh it out in our everyday practical experiences. You position us here in worship, and then you position us in the course of the week to take that from the worship context and relate it to the people we're with who are across the spectrum spiritually. And we've got to figure out continuously where people are at, their worldview, their thought processes their beliefs, and their values. And by your grace, taking your word and relating it to their lives, inching them along until, as fully committed followers of Jesus, they in turn multiply fully committed followers of Jesus, which is our objective in this series, by your grace. So, Father, what we want to do now is to take your word, relate it to our everyday circumstances, Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. We've come here again to see Jesus and him only. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was heading down the steps, 19 of them in all, because I was going to be speaking later that night in Cafe 19 to our students, Bennett does a great job with them, and as I was getting a little bit of the lay of the land prior to speaking, I heard this voice coming out of B29, caught my attention, students that had gathered around a pool table in an adjacent room, and one student said, rack 'em up. Coffee in hand, I leaned against the door to watch what was unfolding at the pool table. Students, cue sticks in hand, looking for ways to knock one or more balls into a, a corner pocket. As I watched what was taking place on full thought processes were beginning to get triggered in my mind. You see, initially, all the balls were scattered on that table. There was an individual who would be responsible to gather these balls and realign them, you see, into a tight triangular configuration at one end of the table. So he takes this triangle... It's called a rack, and all the balls are placed inside the form. those with a circle around them, alternating with those of a solid color black eight ball in the center. And now what we find here is that they have, in essence, racked them up. But then there's a second statement that's made that seizes my attention. Because one of the students turns to another and says... Your turn to break. And the designated breaker approached the table and obviously smacked the white cue ball down the length of the table, crashing against the balls and scattering them in every direction. Particularly skilled player was beginning to pick them off one by one, sending them in their in their needed destination. What I saw unfolding in that room, in many ways, is an illustration of what we see unfolding in Acts 8. Everything looked tidy and put together in Jerusalem. A nice configuration of apostles and a growing church. When all of a sudden, in the midst of that gathering, something, a collision of sorts, takes place, and the balls are now scattered. In Acts 8, the believers are scattered into Jerusalem and Judea and onwards. With that visual in mind, what I'd like to do with you in these minutes together is to think. Think, what does it mean to be a strategic disciple-maker In both what you and I might describe as the gatherings, as well as the scatterings of life. Because in these four services today, we're involved in gathering. But through the course of this week, we are involved through the work of the Holy Spirit in scattering. But whether in the gathered or the scattered state, the purpose remains the same, to multiply disciples for Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice with me, verse 1, track it down to verse 8. We're going to develop two significant opportunities out of these verses. And the first opportunity is this. The number one, when we are gathered... There are opportunities here to disciple people collectively, to take them from wherever they are at spiritually on the spectrum of spirituality, and by God's grace, through the working of the Holy Spirit, coming from God's word, move them along to the point where they become multipliers for God's glory. Now, here we find the disciples finding a sense of togetherness. They are gathered in Jerusalem. But the winds of oppression, the winds of trials and tribulations, are picking up speed and velocity. And Saul has approved, we are told, of his speaking of Stephen's execution. Stephen was one of the original disciples, described in Acts chapter 6, and closely associated with, with Philip, who will be described in this chapter. They must have been very close. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And notice the wording, they were all scattered. Now, the word scattered here comes from a Greek word that has to do with the springtime of life, where someone who is involved in the plantings is now scattering the seeds on the soils so that something is going to sprout up. God has sovereignly now allowed for this trial to take place so that there would be the seeding, this scattered seeding throughout the regions where? Jerusalem and Samaria. Everybody's involved in moving outward except the apostles. Which makes me ask myself whether or not the persecution was primarily directed towards Hellenistic Jews rather than Hebraistic Jews. Because Stephen was Hellenistic. Philip here is Hellenistic. But what I want you to notice here in these opening verses is that this full-spectrum discipleship takes place in the midst of trials, verses 1 down through verse 3. What we've got to ask ourselves now is, to what degree am I you, going through particular trials in our lives? Physically, job-wise, relationally, family-wise. In the midst of our trials, we are given greater authenticity in the eyes of others if we are standing for God, walking for God, living for God, to be able then to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Stephen is not going to be paralyzed by the death of his close friend, colleague, Stephen. Philip is going to move forward, you see sharing the gospel. But now as he begins to move out, he does so as one who is scattering seed. In verse 2, devout men buried Stephen. And here's what interests me in verse 2. They made great lamentation over him. I went back into some of the Sanhedrin writings of that time period, and what I noted was that The people of Israel had the right, of course, with capital punishment, for burial, but not for lamentation. So the believers now, in essence, are acting in defiance against the religious authorities in that region, saying that this was unjust and that martyrdom has just taken place. In the midst of the trials then, and they are hurting people, one of their own has just been put to death for being a follower of Jesus Christ, they are now making a statement of allegiance to Jesus. The scattering is beginning to occur. Take a look at the verse that is appearing on the screen at this point. Compare it to Acts 8, verse 1. Because in Acts 1, 8, you and I were told, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And now what we see happening is that through trials and persecution, Acts 8.1 is fulfilling Acts 1 8. Acts 8.1 is fulfilling Acts 1-8. And now it seems as though this sudden force of trials and persecutions has come upon the people and now they are purposefully going out and doing what God has called them to do, which means that there's purpose in trials. In the midst of the trials you are experiencing right now in your own personal life, I want you to ask yourself who in the full spectrum of humanity and spiritually needs to see what and how I'm facing the trial? What it is that I have to say about that trial so that they can inch to the point where they put faith and trust in Jesus is God uses these trials so that in turn they can become multipliers of Jesus Christ's followers. Tertullian, in his incredible writings on the Christian faith, challenged the Roman authorities in his day with these words. Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. Listen, for the seed of the church is the blood of the Christians. And that Acts eight, one, two, and three principle comes to bear because there is a seeding through the scattering that takes place. Years ago on one of the platforms in our in our building in the sanctuary, Joseph Zahn spoke, greatly used by God in Eastern Europe in the in the dismantling of the Iron Curtain, powerful minister of God's grace. He wrote, years ago, I left my country, Romania, to study theology at Oxford. And in 1972, when I was ready to go back to Romania, I discussed my plans with fellow students. And they pointed out that I might be arrested at the border. This was the day and age of communism in Eastern Europe. And one student asked, Joseph, Joseph, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plans? He went on to write, After our return, I preached uninhibitedly. Harassment and arrests came. One day during interrogation, an officer threatened to kill me. And then I said, Sir, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Sir, you know that my sermons are all over the country on tapes now. If you kill me, I will be sprinkling them with my blood. Whoever listens to them after that will say, I'd better listen, Yosef sealed it with his blood, and they will speak ten times louder than before. So, officer, go on, kill me. I win the supreme victory then. And, of course, the officer sent him home. It's happening. Trials authenticate faith. Trials reveal faith. And trials create opportunities for you and for me, if we love Jesus as Lord and Savior, to be part of the full spectrum of discipleship, moving people forward as the trials of life authenticate the faith in Christ. But not not only do you and I see here that this takes place in the midst of trials, one through three, it takes place in the midst of transitions, four through eight. Now, if you're going through transitions, geographically, job-wise, family-wise, the comings and goings of people in your life, check out four through eight, and notice again the word scattered. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed. Greek word here is to herald. It was used to describe in that time period of Roman leadership a town crier who would announce news as to what's taking place in the Roman Empire. Philip is announcing what's taking place in God's empire that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And in verse 6, what I want you to see here is that they are gathered to be scattered, and and scattered to be gathered, and now a new gathering has occurred. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. The people from Jerusalem are scattered, but they're scattered into Samaria, and now the people of Samaria have gathered to listen to what Philip has got to say. Now, how does this fit together? Do you remember last week, we were looking very carefully at that story of Jesus Christ ministering to whom? The Samaritan woman. We never even got to know her name, did we? Jesus' disciples left so he could have a one-to-one time of conversation with her. When the disciples returned, I want to recall with you what it was that Jesus Christ said to his disciples, not as they stood in Jerusalem, but as they stood in Samaria, while that Samaritan woman was busy multiplying disciples for Jesus. And what was it that Jesus said to them? Look what appears on the screen. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And as they would lift up their eyes, they would see that Jesus is talking about Samaria. Meanwhile, there's a Samaritan woman who is busy producing harvest, prepping for the time in which a Philip, to be distinguished from one of the twelve whose name was Philip, this is a separate Philip, a different Philip, who now comes back, because that unnamed woman had done work for God's glory, plowed the fields, begun the harvest process, and now Philip is picking up, so to speak, and carrying on. And because of that lady's prep work, here is now Philip, and he's got this gathering. Now, do you see the rhythms? Do you see the harmonization? They were gathered in Jerusalem, but the cue ball strikes They're scattered from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. But once scattered, they are now regathered a new people of Christ in Samaria because a woman ahead of time had seized the opportunity to tell others about the Christ and now Philip is picking up where she left off, so to speak, And you and I have likewise opportunity, then, to be part of the seeding process, whether it be at work, in school, or wherever God places you, because we're gathered on Sunday to be scattered on Monday, and in the scattering, then, we are involved in investing in lives for a regathering with new people who need to know Jesus. You see the rhythms of gathering and scattering? Scattering and gathering? Powerful, what God is doing here. Ponder this. Jean Giono tells the story of a shepherd he met in the French Alps, 1913. Powerful. At that time, walked around the mountains of France were barren. Villages deserted because their springs and brooks had dried up. The wind blew furiously, unimpeded by the foliage. This shepherd had a burden on his heart after dinner, Giona watched the shepherd meticulously he writes soar through a pile of acorns, discarding those that were cracked or undersized. and When the shepherd had counted out one hundred perfect acorns, he stopped for the night and went to bed. Giona learned that the shepherd had been planting trees on the wild hillsides for over three years. He had planted 100,000 trees, he alone, 20,000 which had sprouted. Of those, he expected half to be eaten by rodents or died due to the elements. The other half to live. Listen. After World War I, Giono returned to the mountainside and discovered incredible rehabilitation. There was a forest, a chain reaction in nature, Water flowed in the once-empty brooks. He returned again after World War II. Twenty miles from the lines, the shepherd had continued his work, ignoring the war, whether it be 1939 or that of 1914. The reformation of the land continued. Whole regions glowed with health and prosperity, and Giona wrote, On the site of the ruins I had seen in 1913, now stands neat farms, the old streams, fed by the rains and snows that the forest conserves, are flowing again. Because a singular shepherd was willing to scatter seed. Little by little, villages have been rebuilt. People from the plains where land is costly have settled there, bringing youth, motion, the spirit, and adventure. How's that relate to you and me? We gather on a Sunday to be scattered during the week. And in the rhythms of the gathering of discipleship and the scattering of discipleship, the purpose remains the same, full-spectrum discipleship. But now in the scattering, we take the seeds of truth and figure out where that person is on the full spectrum of spirituality, invest conversationally, so that they can be part of the gathering. Of God's people and we do it in the midst of our trials and we do it in the midst of our transitions as God takes you in and out of various circumstances and he does it for his glory and he does it through people like you people like me and so even at this moment then by God's grace, Lord willing, here gathered. Here's the opportunity before us in worship, in the adult Bible fellowships, in life groups, opportunities to disciple people collectively, but it doesn't end there. Because what I want you to see is a harmonization of opportunity. Look very carefully now at verse 26 to 40. Because here is your second significant opportunity. When we are scattered, think your Tuesday nights. Think your Friday nights. Think your Saturdays. Think of your colleagues during the week or students. When we're scattered, there are opportunities to disciple people individually. They may not come into this building on a Sunday morning to be discipled collectively, but now as they face their own trials and transitions in life, you've got an opportunity to impact them individually. And now Philip is going about to be whisked away from the large numbers of people to go one-on-one with a singular individual. And God has a way of using his people in both the gathered and the scattered context, but the purpose remains the same, full-spectrum discipleship. Large, small, individually, collectively, purpose remains the same. The message is constant, though the methods will vary. There is where biblical wisdom for a congregation saturates the souls. An angel of the Lord, in verse 26, said to Philip, wonderful things happening in Samaria, great gathering. He says, rise, go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Let's put the map up on the screen. Where's he headed? He's been in Jerusalem. He headed upwards into the Samaritan region, picked up where that Samaritan woman had left off so to speak. Ministers tremendous gathering. But once the people have gathered, now Philip is being told to be scattered. Heads down from Samaria, makes his way toward Gaza, which today is a hotbed for Hamas. There he finds himself on this desert road, moving from Jerusalem towards Gaza, heading in the direction of Egypt. Verse 26 tells us this is a desert place. What's the purpose in all this? What is God doing? God now has a singular plan that will move beyond Samaria to a continent known as Africa. But he will do it through a singular, one on one, individually designed approach towards full spectrum discipleship. Verse 27 He arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian. Now, then, an Ethiopian would be coming from what today is modern day Sudan. He's a eunuch. He's the court official of Candace, a title for a ruler of that area. Queen of the Ethiopians, who's in charge of all her treasure. You see how all the descriptors are just being piled on. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Probable god was returning, seated in his chariot. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Spirit speaks into, into Philip's heart. Go. Go over and join this chariot. Now, with your English scale in front of you, you've got to start figuring out now, where is this man at in the full spectrum of things? And how can the Philips of this world work with a man such as this? How close? How far? And so you look at this and you say, well now, Ethiopian, eunuch, chariot. Now, the next time there's an Ethiopian eunuch and a chariot that passes your house, you've got to ask yourself some serious questions. Where do I begin? How's the Ethiopian eunuch business going? I don't know. But here's a situation now where questions are being posed, and this becomes your starting point. As you move from the gathered to the scattered, three significant bullets stand out. First, note the initial questions. They go both ways. Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Teachers know that there needs to be a sense of reading comprehension, not mere reading that you get beyond the words mechanically and you're able to fit together the ideas mentally? Is this mere mechanical reading or is this true mental absorption? Is he feeding the soul or just trying to grasp this, the words? Do you understand what you are reading? Question. The strategic one-on-one approach, values, the critical questions that we see week after week after week. Notice the response. It's a question. How can I? Unless someone guides me. And I would say that whether you are in a context of gathered or in a context of scattered, there are going to be people that are looking for someone to simply guide them as they look at the Middle East and look at the global issues, or they look at their own family and they wrestle with the personal issues, and they are looking somehow, someway for a sense of the directional. How can I understand all this unless someone guides me? Which is why we gather on a Sunday to be scattered for the Mondays, So that we are equipped then to guide. Invitation. He invited Philip to come up, sit with him. Now, isn't this God's sovereign working? The scripture he was reading was this like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. It prophetically, eight centuries before Jesus Christ, describes the trials and the sufferings of Jesus. Eight centuries prior. Verse 8. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That describes the death of Jesus Christ. In two verses... All that is being developed here has just taken place in the sufferings, the trials, the death of Jesus Christ. As Jerusalem was abuzz, but now Judea is abuzz, and now Samaria is abuzz. And here we find that the one who had been part of the gathered is now part of the scattered. And he has the opportunity to go one-on-one talking with somebody. Are you prepared then to be a guide one-on-one to those who are asking, how can I understand? unless someone guides me. Here's what I love next. Verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, he's still got questions, as do people throughout the ages and in your circles. About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? What's going on? We move from the initial questions in full spectrum discipleship to what I will call the continual progression in full-spectrum discipleship. This man's got questions. The discipler also poses questions. But there is a movement towards Jesus that is taking place here as people are wrestling with, Can somebody please guide me through the morass of confusion globally and also personally? Isaiah 53. There's an Isaiah 53 campaign that has taken place in New York City. Overseen by Chosen People Ministries, Dr. Mitch Glazer, in particular friend of Dr. Walter Kaiser, what we find is that all over the buses of Brooklyn but New York City, there have been these Isaiah 53 posters. And it's got the entire population buzzing in Jewish circles. What does that mean? It's meant to produce questions. And now Philip's about to deliver answers. And so should you and I. Starting with wherever that person is at, on the spectrum. In verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. That's significant. Beginning with this scripture. Knowing where to begin. He creates forward movement. And he told him the good news about Jesus, you see. Again, through Q&A, you discern where the person is on the spectrum of things, create con- uh, this forward movement, continual progression. And as they were going along, obviously something has taken. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So you notice thirdly the spiritual conversion. And lo and behold, what you and I find here unfolding is exactly what Jesus had said to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and... Here, Philip was in the going, he's in the baptizing, he's in the teaching, he's making a disciple one-on-one, and while that large gathering in Samaria would have looked very significant... And to the naked eye, that one-on-one discussion taking place on the Gaza road leading towards the border between Israel and Egypt could have looked insignificant. The reality is that this is an Ethiopian eunuch who will now take this word back to the continent of Africa and he will seed, and is strategically placed to make a difference for God's glory. Have you considered how the one-on-ones are not accidents in the course of your week. They are appointments in the midst of your week to be able to make a difference in ways that you nor I could ever imagine. Whether it be sitting down for a meal, bumping into somebody in a hallway, stopping at the gas station as, gas, as, uh, as you're filling a gas tank, whatever it is, walking a dog, the one-on-ones. Do you see how the gatherings produce the scatterings, and the scatterings produce the gatherings? But what they have in common is full-spectrum discipleship, no matter what trials you're going through, no matter what transitions you're experiencing. And now what happens? When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Eunuchs saw him no more, but we're told went on his way rejoicing. The very same word which was used to encapsulate what took place in Samaria. So I'm standing at that door. And I'm processing it all. Rack em up, he says. And now the balls are put together in formation. A gathering. But that's not the purpose for those balls. The gathering is meant for the purpose of a scattering. And then there's this force, this centrifugal force, this movement as such that the balls are scattered, but a purposeful scattering, until there will be a time in which those balls will be regathered. And so it is for you. And so it is for me. And now we pull together the gathering and the scattering, and we see the harmony of the rhythms of our lives, and why God has given you a specific purpose in this world, and why he didn't just simply take you to heaven once you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He left you here to make disciples in both gathered and scattered situations for his glory. Let's stand together. For the spiritually curious person who's listening in to this family conversation. And says, I'm, I'm not quite there. I've got questions. I pray that you'll speak to that heart and show them that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when we put faith and trust in Christ alone, our sins are forgiven. Our salvation is secure. Jesus is Lord. Speak to that heart. And for all those that have crossed that threshold and are trying to move forward in purposeful living, show them purposeful living as believers means purposeful discipling. Spotting wherever people are at on the full spectrum of things. And by your grace, moving them forward through questions and love and interests and compassion until not only do they come to saving faith, but they reach a point where they are leading others to saving faith. For we're not here merely to make disciples. We are here to multiply disciples. And We praise you for the singular purpose you have given us. May we take this now and apply it to our lives and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.